Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You may be seated. What an honor it is for me to be back with you. And, um, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dr. Tennyson. Um, um, I didn't come from anywhere. I don't have a history and a family. When I was in the military, I left high school, I joined the military right away because I was running away from a terrible family situation. Went into the military, became a just party crazy guy, Navy guy. I didn't like people, so I joined the Navy boxing team because I could hit them and not go to the brig. So I don't come from anywhere, and I'm telling you this right now because you might think you might not come from anywhere, but God's on your side. He's going to take you everywhere. You just need to trust him. He doesn't need a name. He doesn't need a male, female. He needs you to say, I'm available to do whatever you want me to do. When I was stationed in the Navy on Guam, I wandered into a bar that was near, a, a, a church that was near a bar I used to like to go to, but... The bar, did, the bar didn't open until noon, so I went in this church to waste some time. I didn't know what happened in church because I never went to church. Don't know if I ever saw a Bible. And I heard the message this morning, that, that morning, I was a Assemblies of God missionary that went to this school, North Central University, and uh, North Central College at the time, and he went there, and uh, I went and wandered in that, that church, and... Um, he came up to me and he said, man, you look confused. I said, you got it. I have no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> I said, you know, I, and he said, well, let me tell you something. I know God's revealed to me some stuff about you. And for five minutes, he kind of told me stuff that nobody knew in the room. Nobody knew. It was discernment of spirits as the word of knowledge. And he like read my mind. He didn't know I had a death risk, which the reason I fought, I was hoping someone would take me out. Because I saw no meaning in life. And so he said, son, you need to try Jesus. You've tried everything else. And I said, okay, it's a deal. So I did. I gave my life to Christ, and I've never looked back. And I know I look like I'm in my 40s, but that was 50 years ago. <laughs> so I'm telling you, I don't know why I gave you that word just now, but there's a lot of you here that don't believe that you have a great future. You have a great future. God has a plan for your life. Trust that, and he's walking ahead of you. He's opening doors for people you're going to meet years from now, weeks from now, months from now, whatever. He's giving you favor with people you'll never meet, and he's preparing you for a future that you never anticipated. He has his hand on your life, so don't, don't let the devil make you have a low self-esteem. You're, you you're highly esteemed. Say, I'm highly esteemed. That's how God looks at you. He doesn't pay attention to your attitude about your low esteem. You know, it doesn't. You are highly esteemed and have favor with God. And how do you beat that? I'm going to talk to you about compassion. Before I do that, I want to introduce one of the heroes I have. Thank you, Dr. Tennyson, for that interview. I appreciate it so much. And Scott, Dr. Hagen, wherever he is, he's a friend. But I want to introduce you to Dr. Steve Poulos. Would Steve, would you stand up? So, Steve, Steve is one of the smartest people I know, and he's brilliant, Ph.D. Steve is the new uh, vice president of Hope Education Network. 
And I'm so confident in this man, and I just like rest, even though I was involved in the beginning of it, Steve's going to take it to levels beyond my greatest expectation, and he's got it. I trust him. He's a wonderful leader, wonderful human being, great family. So let's welcome Steve Pulis to Dr. Pulis. Now, I'm going to rush this morning a little bit, but I, um, I, I had an interesting night last night. I usually go to bed. I have my sermons prepared. I, I prepare things well in advance. And so I wake up at 2 in the morning. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to preach a different message. So I get up at 2.30. You know, I'm trying to go back to sleep. I can't go back to sleep. I'm tossing and turning. I'm getting mad. You know, I'm looking for whatever can I do to make me go. To, and nothing's there. So finally, I'm convinced that I need to prepare a new message, and this is it. It started really early this morning. I prepared the thoughts for this morning. Then I had a meeting with a person by accident, but it was on purpose in the will of God. And then I went back to my room and wrote this message, further developed it. I woke up and I wondered when the restaurant was open at the hotel. Well, the restaurant opens at 6 o'clock. So I said, I'm going to go down and get an early omelet, and then I'll have energy and protein and get some coffee and get going. So the, the restaurant was opening late, and it's a very classy restaurant at this hotel. And so coming in late was the person that runs the restaurant, a young lady I found out later. She was a college student, 25 years old, and she just came off of a night shift because she's not letting her parents pay for her education. She's working two jobs. And so she comes in, and finally at about 6.30, I, I, the doors open, and I can go back, and I sit down. So I'm reading this book on compassion, and just studying it, written by Worm Worsby, and I'm reading that book and looking at it and, and just doing stuff like that. And she came up to me, and I said, wow, you got the early shift today. And she said, yeah, and I'm not in a great mood either. I said, well, okay, how can I help you with that? You know, I really want to do something to help you with that today. And she said, well, I just came off this night shift, and I'm late, and I feel embarrassed, and here you are sitting here. And I, and I said, don't worry about me. I'm concerned about you. And so I said, I'm fine. And so she started opening up to me, and, she, and I said, what do you do right now? She said, I work two jobs, and I'm going to college, a university here, and I'm studying psychology. I said, well, that's great. I studied psychology, too. And I went on to other degrees in counseling and marriage and family and all that. I said, I studied it, too. She said, you did? She said, tell me about it. I said, tell you about what? What kind of psychologist should I be? I said, I don't know. It's complicated. You know, and she said, well, tell me how to get going here. So she started talking to me. And so I kind of laid out a plan for her, how she could get to where she wanted to go. And I said, now tell me about your generation. You know, you, you're obviously smart and you're obviously talented. I think you're a leader. This lady, she was 25, studying psychology, black, and wants to help people. That's her goal. And so we started talking about, she said, that book, it says compassion. I said, yeah, that's what I do. I try to show compassion as much as I can. If, if I can get, get around myself, I can show compassion more. And, and so, and I'm looking at, and, and I gave her the book, actually. She has just started reading it, so I just signed it and gave, it, gave her the book. And we talked about how to get tools in your toolbox and compassion in helping people. By the way, if there's anything that Convoy of Hope is known for, the words we hear all over the building whenever I'm at headquarters is the word compassion and kindness. Be compassionate to everyone and be kind. Seldom repress an impulse to be kind. Seldom repress an impulse to be compassionate. 
So I was talking to this lady, and she said, you've really helped me. You've made my day. You've made my month. I think, you're one of, I think God sent you here. And I said, well, maybe. And she said, I feel so much better here because you've helped me. So compassionate, by the way, you have a degree, as Dr. Tennyson explained. It's called humanitarian leadership. And you have many students involved in that, but all that whole leadership degree is about is how do you show compassion, how do you show kindness to people who are in great need? How do you do that? If there's one thing I've learned about this generation, and when I was looking at you at the beginning of chapel, this is what I saw. I saw dynamic leaders. I saw achievers, I saw people of compassion, and I saw a bunch of people that said, I've had it with the world treating each other badly. I'm going to make a difference for good. Amen? That's what I saw. That's what I believe for you. And so there is definitely a feel-good aspect to showing compassion and kindness. This neurological research that's come out in recent years is amazing. It actually tells us when we show compassion, when we show kindness, there's a feel-good thing that kicks in in our brain. We feel good when we help people. We feel good when we serve people. It's one of the greatest things we can do when we're depressed. When we're depressed, it's all about us. When we help people in our depression, we tend to get well. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that beats drugs. Right? Be kind. Be good. Be generous. Be gracious. And so we feel better. It's good for our brain. That's what the new studies are showing us. Also, compassion makes those around you feel happier. So when you are working around people that are in need and you're showing compassion to them, it's not only in helping you, but it's helping them. Now, that's another reason to get involved in some kind of a compassionate work. Whatever you do in your life, whatever degree you have, never forget these things. You're going to make yourself feel better. They're going to feel better. And the third thing is compassion and kindness and generation and generosity will help you live longer. How about that? Now, I'm older than you. Would you agree with that? (laughs) And so I anticipate living a long, long time because I'm really sold out on the idea of compassion and kindness. I remember that missionary that led me to Christ. And he was kind to me. He invited me to his home. Poor missionary. I ate dinner with him almost every night. When he couldn't have me over for dinner, he got another family in the church to have dinner with me. He He showed me the Bible, gave me my first Bible. He taught me how to read the Bible, how to study it, how to pray, how he taught me how to pray. He said, come to my office at 4.30 in the morning. And I went over there. I'm an obedient person. Went over there to his office the first time. And I said, what are we doing? He said, we're going to pray for two hours. Then you're going to go do your duty. So he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to witness to people. You know what witness is, right? Tell people about Jesus, your testimony, and all that. So he taught me how to do that. And how he taught me how to do that is, remember, I used to like bars before I was a Christian. And so what he did, he said, come on over after duty today, Wade, and I want want to take you for a drive. So I came over after duty. He gave me a handful of tracks. I don't know if we use tracks anymore. Handful of them. They were called chick tracks at the time. Chick tracks were very scary because it basically said, Everyone's going to hell. And so, like, scared the willies out of me when I even looked at it. 
And, you know, unless you repent right now, you could die and go to hell, or the rapture's coming in two seconds. So they scared like the tar out of you. So he said, I'm going to give you them. He drove me to the bar I used to like to attend, and he said, go stand on the front steps, and I want you to tell all your friends when they're walking in, God loves you, I love you, I want you to read this track. So what happened, the first guy said, you're nuts, good all. Second guy, I think, cussed me out with some very interesting words. One guy, like, spit to the side. I thought another guy was going to hit me, got to the seventh guy, and I said, God loves you, I love you, want you to read this. He took it, he said, what in the world happened to you, Wade? And I said, I don't know, it's Jesus. I said, when, I, when he, he just radically changed me, I don't want to do what I used to do. He said, I want what you want. That was my first convert. I want what you have. So, he, you know, that, 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 see, compassion, kindness, my goal in that, we live longer. Generosity, by the way, number four here, counters depression. I mentioned that before. If you want to get over being in the blue funk or in the bad mood or depressed, start showing compassion. It's neurologically safe, it's healthy, it's scientific. The Greek word for compassion is an interesting word that I'm not going to pronounce. I took Greek when I was in college, but I remember very little of it, but sorry about that. What it is, it means to be moved from the gut. When you have compassion, you feel it in your very internal part of yourself. The early church used to call it, you feel it in your bowels, stomach, inside of you. You see something, a need, you feel something, and you either have to walk away or walk toward it and do something about it. How many of you have ever had that feeling about someone or something going on? Put your hand up. See, that's compassion. The Bible says God is compassion. Moses was the first one that said that. And over and over in Scripture talks about God is a God of compassion. Eleven times in the Gospel, it says Jesus felt compassion and then he did something. You see, you feel, you do. And there's been many occasions in my life, in my Christian life, where I saw something going on and I felt so deeply about what was and how it could help, and then I've done something about it, or I'm ashamed to say I've walked away from it many times. And so compassion is something that God gives you. You have that deep feeling. And the Bible says Jesus felt compassion. He had compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. On one occasion where I felt a deep compassion was when we were pastoring our last church in North Carolina. It's an inner city church. Several thousand people went to that church. Um, interracial, very much so. Half of our church was black. The other half was about a thousand white, and the rest were every other people group you can think of. And it was really fun to pastor there. And I started noticing that several of the ladies in our church were coming for counseling because they had been abused by their husbands or their live-in partner. And so 
what I decided to do is I felt so deeply about it. We've got to help our ladies. I told the pastoral staff, we've got to help the ladies. We got, you know, we, we probably have 50 in our church. Remember, it's a really large church. And I said, we know they're being hurt. So let's do a conference. And I brought in this, this great speaker, a lady that specializes in, in spousal abuse and a brilliant lady, Christian lady. And we thought we were going to have it in one of our side rooms in the, in, in the church building. And, but we, we started noticing so many people were registering. So we decided to put it in the gym. Our gym set 600 people and it packed out with ladies. Because ladies that are being abused tell other ladies that are being abused. And so marketing was their mouth. And so they came and they filled our gym. And I told all the pastors, I had 12 assistant pastors, I said, I want every hand on deck. I want the receptionists here because this is a huge crowd. we got to be available. And so we, I lived in uh, our, our offices were this glassed-in building uh, you know, next to the sanctuary. And our gym was across the parking lot. And so all the offices had a window looking out. Glass on the sides, and I was in the back, glass on the back, I was way in the back, and so during this conference when it's going on, some big guy, probably 240 pounds, six foot three, bodybuilder, came rushing through the front doors of the building, and he said, where's Goodall? Where's Goodall? And I see him running in, and so I decided, I do not want to encounter this person. And so I escaped out the back door, and I'm running on the side, up like this, on the side, but I forgot they're all windows. So he sees me running, and I'm, I'm a pretty fast runner, and so I'm getting to my car, but he's a faster runner. He's catching up to me. I'm not going to make it in my car. I suddenly realized. So what am I going to do? So I stopped, and I turned around, and I said, I'm good all. He said, I hate your guts. You're ruining my family. You're destroying my wife. You're taking my kids from me. And he said, I'm going to kill you. You know, at that time, you ask, well, how are you planning on doing that? You know? <laughs> it's kind of good to know that, you know. And so I didn't do that. But remember the old boxer in me? <laughs> remember that? So this guy's big. I'm small. I'm back like this because he's leaning in on my face. His Adam's apple sticking out. And I'm looking at all my pastors, by the way, and the secretaries. They're looking out the glass windows like, I'm saying, call 911. You know, what's the deal here? So I'm, he's, they're wondering, what's good all going to do now? You know, and so I'm leaning back. My hands start shaking, and I'm thinking in my head, I've got one more in me. His Adam's apple is sticking way out. You want to drop someone? Right there. You could kill him, but you're going to live. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I've got one more in me. And so then I heard this voice in my quiet voice, but loud to me. A soft answer turns away wrath. And so I said, sir, I have obviously offended you. I'm sorry. But my goal is I want your kids to call you daddy. I want your wife to trust you and love you. I'm not here to help you. I'm here to, help, to, to destroy you. I'm here to help you. Would you let me help your wife? Let me help you. You know what this big guy did? He screamed, and he turned away, and he ran, screaming. I thought, well, that was a piece of cake. 
I had compassion over here that turned into compassion over here for the person who wanted to wipe me out. See, compassion works that way. You listen to it. You feel it. You see it. You feel it. You do it. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and be humble. Compassionate and humble. So the Good Samaritan story is a great story. My time's almost up. You know that story from Luke 10.25. A person came, a, a religious leader came to try to, try to confuse, try to trick Jesus. And he said, well, uh, you know, how do you... How do you become a Christian? What does it mean to be, to be born again? He's just trying to bring confusing talk. I'm paraphrasing this. He tried to bring confusing topic to Jesus. And, and uh, Jesus said, you know, well, what's written in the law? And, and have you read it, by the way? And the man said, you know, this guy's a religious leader. Of course he's read the law. And then he wanted an answer from him. And, he said, and Jesus said, well, there's these two, two religious leaders that are leaving Jerusalem because they're on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. So I've been to both places, Jerusalem, you can walk there to Jericho, they're, they're walking away. So one priest walks by, and this guy, this person's wounded, he's been beaten up, bruised by these gang members or something. He's laying on the street, bleeding, clothes taken off, just in desperate shape. And then one priest walks, sees him, and he walks to the other side and keeps walking. It's interesting, the priest was probably in religious services in Jerusalem, and he walked away from the need. The second person was a Levite, which is connected to the priesthood, as you know. He saw the person, too, and he also walked by the person and didn't pay any attention. He said, I don't have time, whatever was going on. I got text mails I got to answer. I got all this stuff to do. And then what happened then, the Samaritan, by the way, the Samaritans were rejected by the Jews in, in Jerusalem because they're half Jew, half Gentile. They were rejected and and, and so, anyway, the Samaritan sees him and walks over to him, and, and he says, uh, he, he bound up his wounds, and he, he gave him some money, an equivalent of money was about $150, gave it to the innkeeper, he took care of him for a little while, he paid the innkeeper, and he said, whatever you need to do to help him, I'll come back and I'll pay you that back. So what's the difference, Jesus said, between the two people? Interesting, two religious leaders this is a Christian university training to be Christian leaders. There's so much need around us. And we can walk right by. I don't have the time. I got these stuff I got to do. For, I got my job. I got emails. I got... I don't have the time, and we can walk by. Or we can see and feel compassion and do what the Samaritan did and do everything he can to heal him up and get him back on his feet. And, Wade, who are you? Do you walk away? Or you say, I'm available. What's your name? Just say your name out loud right now. Say, say your name and say, what are you going to do? You're going to walk away or say, I'm available? 
How many of you are available to what you see, what you feel? Come on. Stand up. Come on, stand up. You're bold. You're courageous. You're leaders. And I believe that you can make a difference. God will help you, right? My time's run short. But I just want to tell you, of course, that's what we believe Convoy of Hope's all about. We're not perfect people, but we see great needs and we do our best to fix the needs. And, um, but if you want to say to the Lord, let me stop there. How many of you, when you close your eyes, are thinking about a person you can help or an organization you can help, a church you can help, lift your hand. You're thinking about it right now. If you're willing to help, take a minute here and come to the front and say, I'm available. Come on. All God needs to hear from you is, I'm available. I'm available. I'm available. Now, if you can't think of anything right now, don't worry about it. Don't feel guilty. God's not into guilt. God's into grace. I'm available. Say with me, I'm available, Lord. I've said that so many times in my life. I said it this morning. Lord, I'm available. There's so much need. I don't know what to do. I can't fix it all, but I can fix something. I can do something. Lift your hands at you, you that came to the front and say, Lord Jesus, I'm available. Anyone in the congregation, balcony, say these words. Lord, I'm available. Lord, I'm available. I'm available, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'm available. Sing it. Say it over again. Jesus, I'm available to do whatever you want me to do. Jesus, I'm available. I'm available. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. Jesus, I'm available. I'm available. Oh, Jesus, yes, Lord. Jesus, yes, Lord. Jesus, Jesus.